One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Today's episode is sponsored by my Lit Daily Online Yoga Classes. This is an exclusive pass into my personal practice and program that I created from experience as a physical therapist and 20 years developing my Lit Yoga methodology. There is a different class with me every day, including special monthly live streams, so you can feel your most lit up anytime and anywhere. Get a three-day free trial today by going to movementbylara.com and clicking daily classes. Let's get moving. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns, so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all being. Today is Wednesday Q&A. You ask the questions and I answer. So let us begin. The first question I have is from Linda Mojanda. She asks, tips for hallux valgus. So hallux valgus is when the big toe is going inward in the fashion of of what's beginning to look like a bunion. So imagine if the big toe is just straight out in line with the rest of the ray of the the toe, but instead it starts to uh, turn inward toward the second toe so that the, the the bottom part of the big toe at the metatarsal starts to angle out. And that creates a pressure, which then creates tension on the tendon and the matrix there. So a bunion responds to that. So hallux valgus is that uh, where the foot is going, the big toe is going in. You can imagine if you stuff your foot in a shoe or a ballet slipper, if you've never done a ballet slipper, just imagine a very, very confined slipper that has a, a compressive quality to it. And what ends up happening in particular, the pinky and the big toe are pulled in. They're kind of squashed in. And that's essentially what a hallux valgus is doing. It's getting squashed. And the space between the first big toe and the second big toe is minimized. Sometimes you'll, for some people with hallux valgus, they'll even have a crossover effect. My aunt had that to such a bad degree that she had to have her second toe removed, which is really very dramatic, but that's just the pressure on top of it all the time um, led to a lot of nerve impingement and entrapment. And there's a whole host of stuff that can happen when you essentially are binding your foot in a shoe. 
So how, what are the tips for that? Well, the first is to really look at your, your attire, your, your feet, your footwear. What are you, what are you putting your feet in a majority of the time? And a majority of the time is really, you know, if you're spending six to eight hours a day in a shoe, that's, that's going to be a majority of the time because you're might be awake 12 to 15 hours. So that's still a good 50% of the time you have your foot in something. Now, of course, in today's, this current state, you might not be in a work environment. So it's a wonderful opportunity to free your foot, free your toes. So the first thing I would do is examine the shoe wear. And then the second thing is free your foot as much as possible. Start actively spreading your toes. Start actively extending your toe, lifting your toe up like you're lifting it up toward the ceiling abducting it, meaning spreading it apart from the second toe. If you can't do that yet, you can start to look at your big toe and practice it because that visualization will help that pathway develop. If you have any joint in a confined position, the motor mechanics change. So in other words, uh, if I had my arm in a sling for six months, And I didn't do much work with it. This would be a dramatic example, but you can imagine I have it in a sling. It's going to take a while for the firing of the muscles around the elbow joint, around the wrist, around the shoulder to figure out that movement pattern. It's delayed, it's weakened. And so there's, 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 and then there could be soft tissue contractors and things like that. So the toe is similar if it's been in any kind of bound position, it's going to take a while for it to develop the opening, the soft tissue opening, and develop the motor firing. So really work on that. The the final thing that I've mentioned before in other podcasts, especially with my brother, who's a big proponent of this, is get some correct toes. Correct toes are a brand it, it, they are toe spacers. You can get other toe spacers, but I highly recommend these because they were developed and uh, by a doctor that we both really um, regard highly. And they're really the quality material. They are a little bit pricier than some other toe sp- spacers, but they have a longer leg- longevity, I think, than probably some of the stuff that's out there. So you can look that up uh, at correct toes. All right. So try all those things. Next question. This is from TAC 1983. I have students who complain their shoulders feel down dog too much, even after adjusting. Okay. So I'm assuming that you're asking how to make them feel it less because their shoulders are maybe overly working or have too much demand on them. There's a, there's a couple of thoughts here because I have seen so many people do down dog, thousands of people do down dog, thousands of different down dogs. So what I'm thinking is that when you adjust someone in down dog who's been used to doing down dog in a more, I don't want to say traditional, but kind of more common practice where you kind of just sink into your arms, the shoulders are really not loaded. And if anything, they've been, many people have been taught to stretch or overstretch the shoulders and overstretch the capsule there. So if all of a sudden you are giving them directions um, and how to integrate their core more and weight bear in their hands, there is going to be more of a feeling of demand placed on the shoulder. And that is great. 
We want all of the muscles around the shoulder joint to know the big job there is to hold that the center of um, or the humerus centered in the, the socket. So that might be the case. If that's the case, you just say to those people, hey, you know what? Your arms are going to get stronger. They're not used to weight bearing. But you could say this to a person who's never done a down dog before. I've had people who have not done down dog and they're in down dog for maybe 10 breaths and they've got to come out of it. They just feel like, wow, this is so, my, my shoulders are burning. Why? Well, they haven't been weight bearing through their hands. It's a new demand on their shoulders. There is nothing quite like weight bearing through the hands to get um, a different impact on the arms, on the integration of arms into the torso, through all the scapula muscles, through the um, abdominal core muscles. It is so impactful to do a down dog in in a very strong way. So I would just tell them what you uh what the what the purpose or the uh, that they should be feeling it is going to be a good bit of demand placed on their shoulders but also if they're feeling overly taxed in the shoulders see if they can bring in the other players to participate so yes the arms the triceps the hands pressing into the floor but then can they integrate the front body more the abdominal core, all the the muscles that wrap around from front to back, like the obliques, the serratus anterior, which is from the rib cage to the scapula and is a huge stabilizer. And then check in with where the pelvis is. The pelvis being the peak of the pose will um, automatically unweight some of that shoulder demand. Because if you think of like a tent and the construction of any kind of triangular shape, the the pulling up into that apex, the apex of the tent being the roof, the pelvis being the kind of roof of the down dog, that energy is going up. It's not going down into the poles and kind of sinking at the roof. It's lifting up. So the feeling should be more that there is a collaborative working of all the muscles to get lift up into the pelvis. Finally, what I'll say is if someone is feeling a lot in their shoulders, it could be that their shoulders don't have the space, you know, the literal like range of motion right now. And it's being held and stuck in one position that's really working the shoulders. And in that case, almost always putting your hands on blocks, getting an upward lift, taking a bit of the demand of the range of motion out of the shoulder helps tremendously. So those are some techniques you can try for yourself or if you're a yoga teacher, try for your students. Next question. Anne, Annie Oliver asked me, do you drink alcohol? If so, how do you deal with the hangover? I love that. I love that I sometimes, actually I'm getting a lot more non-yoga questions lately. Some are inappropriate. I won't tell you those, but (laughs) I find them humorous. This is great. Um, Do I drink alcohol? Yes. Uh, not a lot. I'm not a big drinker and uh, I don't drink lots of different types of alcohol. I'm actually very simple. If I drink anything, it's usually a glass of wine, only white wine. I never drink red wine, um, mainly because ever since I had kids, something changed in my chemistry, hormonal stuff that red wine just almost always gives me some kind of headache. So in answer to your question, I know I, I avoid a hangover because I don't drink red wine because I it doesn't matter if it's organic, 
tannin-free, whatever. Something about the red wine gives me a headache. So I've just eliminated that. I haven't had that in years. And otherwise, I don't drink a lot. So my purpose in drinking is not ever to like um, get so much alcohol in me that I would feel um, bad the next day. So I think I think that's really it. I don't actually get hangovers because I don't drink that much. So I don't really have any good advice, except I do know from my background, I, got, I have my um, natural food chef degree as well. I did that for a year, came away from an, uh, a program, did a cooking school program for natural food chef. And it was heavily rooted in macrobiotics. Now, macrobiotics are uh, an amazing system that come from Eastern cooking and wellness and therapeutics. And they it is said that one of the best ways to get over a hangover is what's called umeboshi plums. Umeboshi plums or umeboshi vinegar. These are actually uh, Japanese apricots and they are fermented. And so you can buy the plum paste, you can buy the actual plum itself, and it's um, you and and it's really said that. And I have seen this, like when I've had a, a rare headache or something, I'll take a tiny bite of one of these. They're super super salty, which would seem like salty would be vinegary. It's actually very high in alka, in alkalinity, which is known to help when you have some kind of headache or hangover. But um, you don't want to take a huge bite of them. You just need a tiny, tiny bite of these umeboshi plums. And they're supposed to be incredibly helpful for hangovers. I have not had a hangover in decades. So I don't know that feeling well. I do remember it um, like from long ago. And I never had too many hangovers. I've just never been a huge, huge drinker. That's just not my thing. I would be the one like if I were to do some kind of recreational thing. I think I'd go the other direction and want something that really like, I think alcohol is more of a depressant. I, w- I would want to be like, what can make me have 24 seven energy? So uh, I would do some kind of stimulant, but I've chosen instead to do movement as my stimulant source and do it naturally. Uh, all right. But thank you for that question, Annie. Spread the love, eleven eleven. Ask me advice on how to self-relieve an incredibly tight levator scapula or possibly the upper traps. So the levator scapula does exactly what it sounds. It elevates the scapula. And this is a, an important muscle, but is often overused in lieu of the upper trapezius, which is also a, an a, a elevator of the scapula. Uh, a lot of times the levator scapula is working so hard because of the position of the head. So the very first thing I would say is you have to get your head put on straight. It sounds funny. You can do all the stretches in the world, and I'm not saying they're not going to have some effect. But until you work to get your neck in neutral, I don't think it's very effective doing a lot of stretches for that. So the first thing I would say is really work on getting the triple S, getting that skull back. The chin is down, not aggressively down. And then imagine the back of your skull is lifted up. Like if you could take the bottom of your skull, right? Right at the occiput. So if you if you put your hand behind your head and then, and then just follow the curvature of the skull and go down to this little notch, soft tissue notch that would be like the would be like the base of your hairline and it has a big indentation there. So that is your C1, your cervical 
vertebral one. And it has a very distinct hollowing there because it has no spinous process, which is the process that sticks out. So there's a divot there. So one way to think about how to find a neutral neck, if you're struggling with the triple S, if you're struggling with that, is put your finger in that indentation where C1 is and just try and move your chin back in space to fill up some of that divot. Because the more your head is forward in a forward head position, the bigger that divot will be. It'll feel like a real like ditch. And when that, when you fill that back up a bit, you're getting closer or you might be acquiring a neutral neck position. Then when you have that feeling that you've moved the whole skull back and you've, and you've, and you've, there's going to be some tension by the way, in that area, because those are your suboccipital muscles, which really correspond to uh, your sympathetic nervous system, which is kind of like state of readiness. Your eyes are uh, connected to these muscles as well. So eyes turn on, these muscles turn on, and you're ready to, to, to flee <laughs> or, or whatever that might have been from that evolutionary standpoint. So you're going to feel some tautness when you bring your whole skull back. But say, do that first, and then let your right ear release toward your right shoulder. And then pause there. And then turn your head down to look over to the right, like down into like your right foot or right knee or something like that. And then keep that in place, but take your right hand and put it on top of the left shoulder and, and take your second and third fingers, finding the crest of the scapula, the spine of the scapula, and just gently press down. So this is one way of um, giving your levator scapula a stretch. Gentle, nothing aggressive, but more importantly, it's helping you find that neutral alignment so that you can get a sense of the tension and then hopefully the lessening tension of the suboccipital muscles and then that levator scapula muscle as well. So those that's something. And then think about applying that in all stages. So doing it standing, doing it when you're in quadruped. Can you imagine the where that little divot is where C1 cervical vertebral one is and move the front. I talk about moving the front of the throat up. Well, moving that when you're in quadruped on all fours and you move the front of your throat up, you can feel that expansion at that C1 place. You're getting into your neutral neck position. The more you can find this position in sitting, in standing, in quadruped, in plank, you're putting yourself in the position where the muscles surrounding the skull, surrounding the shoulders are going to be in starting off in a better alignment. So start there and then you can add that levator scapula stretch that I just went over with you. So I hope that helps you today. Uh, As always, send me questions either on my Instagram page, message there at Laura, L-A-R-A dot Hyman, or you can email me directly, Laura at movementbylaura.com. I love to hear your questions and I will be answering more every week. Stay stay sane, stay strong, stay connected more now than ever and know that I'm pulling for you as always. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.